It's me, Mario, telling you that this show has some bad language. Please listen responsibly. It's time for Beer Me A Movie. I'm Dave Michaels. I'm Brian Betts. And this is the show where me and Brian go back and forth surprising each other week after week with what we're going to watch next week. Only I know what's happening next week right now. Uh, Officially, because next week's your pick. But isn't that like the whole purpose of talking about movies? Like you don't watch movies really in a vacuum anymore. That's true. You watch it so that you could share movies with your friends and throw out the opinions that you never asked for. (laughs) I know what so many people think about movies that I've never seen and don't care about. Exactly! There's a ton of movies I'm never going to watch, but I know exactly what my friends think of them. And for some people, that's why I'm not going to watch them. (laughs) For some people. Yeah, it checks out, actually. (laughs) (laughs) You know who you are. But for this week, this was my pick, and... I'm going to toot my own horn, toot toot, because I picked one of the big ones. Cinema classic. It is, and it's one that we had to check off of Brian's kind of cinema bucket list, because I chose a fellow Hofstra University alumnus film, because this week we are talking about The Godfather from 1972, directed by Francis fucking Ford fucking Coppola. Yeah, the double fucking. It's easier to do when you have a middle name thrown in there. It is. You would think that like artists would just use the middle name more just for our show. Just to get the extra fuckings. You know, uh, Nick Cage calls him Uncle fucking Francis fucking Ford fucking Coppola. <laughs> yes, he <so>. does. <laughs> I'll call him that. I'll call him whatever he wants after he made this thing. Uncle Frankie. You've never seen this before. I had never seen The Godfather until very recently now. Why don't... You give me your thoughts on it. This is one of those rarities where you don't know a lot of people who haven't seen this movie. Yeah. And I don't think I can remember the last time I talked to somebody with like fresh eyes on this one. So this is really interesting. I understand. I understand. And here's the thing. I went into it going, three hours? You want me to watch a three hour movie? You yeah, son of a bitch. You know, that's not like me. Cause with me, it's like not. 90 minutes is like the sweetest spot. Yeah, for sure. And I agree with that. So the, the fact that this is as revered as it is and as long as it is, I, I knew I was getting into something special. And, uh, and then it held up. And then, okay, we're not doing Dude, Where's My Car? And <laughs> then, that was last week, but two weeks ago. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, apologies for last week. The COVID finally got me, and I was on my ass for like a week. Yeah, it hit you pretty hard. I'm glad it hit me better. ridiculously hard. I'm still positive, and it's been like a week and a half. So. Hey, you know what? That's good though. Stay positive. Uh, thank you. Thank you. Keep, keep a positive attitude about it. I <laughs> uh, want to get into this thing. This is yeah, gonna score high. This is gonna be a a big boy. Let's get right into it. We start off with our first category: story and motivation, which. Uh, We read the synopsis directly off of Wikipedia for, and Wikipedia recently got a little facelift. I don't know if you noticed. I did notice. They put like a whole thing on the left side, uh, uh, key. That's what it is. Yeah. (laughs) You can like like click in contents. Yeah. Uh, I guess that $5 they keep begging you for goes somewhere. I guess so. 
I mean, it still looks like it was coded in, like, WordPress. Yeah, it really, it's like, they were begging for that $5 from everybody this year because they needed to pay for that remodel. Can I ask you a serious question? Sure. You ever donated to Wikipedia? Once. Yeah, I still haven't. I probably should. Like, my conscience is not clear. I did it once. I think it was, like, two years ago I did it because I was like, man, I use this a lot now. <laughs> so I was like, I'm going to pay, I'm going to give them the $5, but... I'm going to warn you now, you give it to them once, they're in your inbox every year a lot. That's enough to make me not want to do it, though. Yeah. Yeah. I had to unsubscribe from Wikipedia emails. Yikes. It's kind of like like a news organization like the Washington Post and New York Times. Whenever you subscribe to them for like a year, you get a great deal, and you're like, I'm going to cancel this. Yeah. They're like, it's going to be $100 for the next year, and you only paid six this year. So Thank uh, you give for us your money. Me. Because I do have to cancel New York Times like this week. But that's the best part about it, because you cancel and there's like, actually, we're only going to charge you $8 now. You're like, well, that is a $92 difference between what you were telling me a minute ago. Yeah, I guess I'll stay for another year. For four bucks? Sure. <laughs> Unbelievable, man. The whole world's a racket. That's it what it sure is. sure is. Everybody's doing backroom dealings. And it's appropriate, because we're about to be talking about, uh, we can't use the word mafia or Casa Nostra. Right, right. Not allowed. Not allowed. We'll get might there. Might get a, get a brick through the window you doing that. <laughs> you might. Let's just get into it. We'll figure out what yeah. the right terminology would be. We're not going against the family. That might be the way to do it. Right, right. It's all about family, Fast and Furious style. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> In 1945, New York City, Corleone crime family Don Vito Corleone, played by Marlon fucking Brando, listens to requests during his daughter Connie's Wedding to Carlo. Connie, of course, played by Talia Shire and Carlo by Gianni Russo. Talia Shire? Nepotism. Absolutely. <laughs> Let's call it what it is. Marlon fucking Brando. Not nepotism. They uh, did not want him to do this movie at all. The studio didn't. Paramount very much did not want him in this movie. And Francis Ford Coppola said, I very much want him in this movie. Francis Ford Coppola was right. He was absolutely right. Marlon Brando, at this point in his career, 1971, is looked at as box office poison. Yes. He's coming off a string of just bomb after bomb after bomb. He is a long way removed from Streetcar Named Desire on the waterfront. He is very far removed at this oh, point. Oh, yeah. 20 yeah. years removed, almost. And has that reputation for not being easy to work with. So that's a double whammy. And it's because he doesn't want to be an actor. He's never wanted to be an actor in his life. He just got good at something and then, like, begrudgingly used his talent. Fine, I'll be a bagel in your movie. We are six years away from that right. <laughs> at this point. But he doesn't get that without this. Exactly. Crazy stuff. But he anyway. is box office poison. And uh, I think we'll get farther into that later. Uh, yeah, we absolutely will. And Johnny Russo? I don't know if he's made or not. But he's very, very, very much involved in the organizational crimes and whatnot. There are some wild ties to the mob, IRL, in this movie. Interesting. And he is all that one of them. (laughs) (laughs) Michael, played by Al fucking Pacino. And I didn't realize it was him until probably halfway into the movie. Really? Because he's so young. Well, I mean, and he's. Restrained. And restrained. Not <laughs> something you see a lot from Al Pacino. Uh, never. Really, never. Especially because <laughs> the last time we talked about Al Pacino, he was talking about Dunkachinos. 
Dunkachinos, Al Pacino, Dunkachino. It rhymes. It's got to be in my Adam Sandler movie. Absolutely. Vito's youngest son and former Marine introduces his girlfriend, Kay Adams, to his family at the reception. Kay Adams, of course, Diane fucking Keaton, who I also did not recognize at all. And when I found out after the movie it was Diane Keaton, I almost shit a brick. Yeah, it's absolutely her. She's coming off of her like Woody Allen days, so it works for me. Johnny Fontaine, played by Al fucking Martino, a popular singer and Vito's godson, seeks Vito's help in securing a movie role. Wikipedia, I feel like, has sinned. And skipped a, a whole lot? Skipped a whole lot because they skip over The Undertaker at the beginning of this, and I'm not talking for you wrestling nerds, that Undertaker, even though <laughs> that would be a twist. That would be. Amerigo Bonacera. Yeah, but the opening of this thing is so iconic, how you have the long take with Amerigo Bonacera doing his monologue. Yeah. And the first line of this movie is one of the great opening lines to a movie of, I believe in America. And this mm. movie realistically is about the American dream coming to life in a right. lot of ways. In a lot of ways. And, well, you know, one version of it. Exactly. But yeah, Wikipedia does skip over the whole, you know, uh, asking for a favor on the, you know, the day of your daughter's wedding, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Did it skip over the Luca Brasi also? It sure did. Jesus Christ. Wikipedia, this is why you don't get my money. <laughs> I get that you want to squeeze in your plot synopsis in like 750 words and whatnot, but when I mean, you have something like that. The Godfather, go to 800 or something like that, <laughs> just to squeeze it a tiny bit more. It's a three-hour movie. It deserves a few more characters. <laughs> just a few more. Mr. Wiki and Mr. Peter are sitting there like, nah, fuck it. <laughs> I like that it's Mr. Wiki and Mr. Petey. They went to college with Ben and Jerry, and they went the ice cream route, and these guys went the info route. You know what? We're going to write a whole brief article about you two on the web. That's why it says, these fucking assholes, Ben and Gerald. No <laughs> one knew him as Jerry in college. No one. <laughs> Benjamin and Gerald. Sitting there milking their goddamn cows, throwing in ground up pistachios and saying, let's call this a business. <laughs> oh, let's come up with a real punny name for this ice cream. Bunch of assholes. Their ice cream is delicious. It's expensive. I only buy it when it's on sale. That's fair. Not made of money, Benjamin and Gerald. <laughs> I'm not a made man. I can't afford your fancy ice cream with all its chunks and goos mixed in. <laughs> right. <laughs> That's what they call it, right? Goo. Chunks and goos. <laughs> I'm going to the store, sweetheart. Do you want your chunky monkey? I'll get my gooey Louie. It'll be fine. It'll be a great night. <laughs> If it rhymes, you got to put it in your Adam Sandler movie. Got to throw it in there. <laughs> Luca Brasi is a big boy. He uh, has a speech he's trying to make. He's kind of like the Corleone family's hitman. He's the muscle. Back to the Wikipedia synopsis. The lacking Wikipedia synopsis. <laughs> All right. Vito sends his consigliere, Tom Hagen, played by Robert fucking Duvall. What? Yeah. Yes. To persuade the studio head Jack Waltz, who's played by John Marley, to offer Johnny the part in the movie. This is like the only scene in this movie that Francis Ford Coppola like truly hates because it feels so far removed from the rest of the movie tonally. Yeah. So I kind of get it. Like the whole California sequence, it's there because it's written in the book by Mario Puzo. Mario fucking right. Puzo. Apologies. Mario fucking Puzo. He yeah. earned it for sure. This was like the most popular book in the 60s. Right. By like a long shot. This was the hottest property 
for a long time before <laughs> it finally got made and it barely got made. Yeah, and, and Paramount got in there early to get the rights yeah, to it. Yeah, they did. Robert Evans wanted this very badly. Waltz refuses Hagen's request at first, but then soon complies after finding the severed head of his prized racing horse in his bed. Real horse head. Yes. Iconic. It is extremely iconic, and poor John Marley had to get all up in there with a real horse head. With a real horse head. Didn't they get it from, like, a dog food factory? They sure did. They sent, like, a PA down to it. Like, I've heard of gophers for, like, coffee runs. It's like, I'm going to do a horse head run for the Godfather picture with Paramount. Go down to Alpo and see if they have any leftover horse heads. (laughs) We got to make this film. Oh, man, they kept, like, making them, like, kick around with this fake blood. It's like, it's a real horse head. Oh, yeah. Blood could be as fake as you want. It doesn't change the fact how gross it is. It's so gross. And those silk sheets just ruined. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, they're probably in, like, the Smithsonian now. Right. Hey, he's (laughs) touched a horse head. (laughs) Here at Blue Buffalo, we've been making (laughs) the finest movie props since 1972. Purina. This batch has 5% less horse head. Thanks, Francis Ford Coppola, for our diet dog food. Diet dog food. <laughs> We've removed the horse heads. Now with less horse head. <laughs> oh, man. Near Christmas time, drug baron Salazzo, played by Al Littieri. Al fucking Littieri, I'm sorry. You should apologize to everybody, mostly because the amount of Italian-Americans in this who probably can kill you. Yeah. And all of them get all fuckings. All listen, probably. Sprinkling in the fuckings liberally <laughs> this episode. Salazzo asks Vito to invest in his narcotics business and for protection from the law. And Vito declines, citing that involvement in narcotics would alienate his political connections. Not wrong. He's not wrong. And that's the crazy thing about this movie, is that this is a movie about bad people doing bad things. Yes. But it's so well-contained to the story that we see, to the characters that we see, that you can almost look at him as almost like heroic for saying, uh, I got all these political connections, but I don't want any of that no sugar, whatever we're calling it in the <laughs> 70s. Look, I can't get involved in the drug trade. Everything I'm already doing, gambling, uh, prostitution, uh, you know, it's all seen as upstanding citizen stuff. I can't be involved in no drugs. He wants to keep it off the streets. It's noble. <laughs> Good for him. Suspicious of Salazzo's partnership with the Tatalia crime family, Vito sends his enforcer, Luca Brasi, played by Lenny fucking Montana, to the Tatalias on an espionage mission. A little piece of advice for anyone who wants to send a friend of yours on an espionage mission. Don't send your biggest person. They will stand out like a sore thumb. <laughs> oh, look, they're sending their muscle to join us? Let's kill him. And then they do. Yeah, Brasi's garroted to death during the initial meeting. I didn't know that's what it was called. I didn't either until Wikipedia told me. I learned something today. And now I owe them that $5, I guess. <laughs> I guess so. To know that when you get piano wired around the neck, it's called garroting or garroting or whatever it is. Or whatever it is. It could be garroting, could be garroting, could be garrote. That's how Antonio the Tiger says it. Antonio the Tiger. <laughs> Oh, that's very good. I got a breakfast that you can't refuse. It's garot. Now, here's the thing, Mr. Tatalia. I told you I didn't want any of that sugar. (laughs) 
on my cereal. And you chose to not listen. And that is a slap in the face to my family. And now you can count on my good friend Chocula to pay you a visit. (laughs) Come here. Come here. Just a second. Look at these flakes. Do they look frosted to you? Do these flakes look frosted to you? Will somebody please get me snack, crackle, and pop on the phone? I have a job that needs doing. They're always after me, Lucky Charms. That's just straight up Austin Powers right there. I feel like that's my head went right away. Yeah. <laughs> Later on, enforcers gun down Vito and kidnap Hagen. With Vito's firstborn, Sonny, played by James fucking Khan, now in command, Salazzo pressures Hagen to persuade Sonny to accept the narcotics deal. Sonny's a little bit of a hothead. He's a lot a bit of a hothead. He's the hottest of heads. I mean, this man doesn't want Will Ferrell as a kid, so. It's true, and that is a crime against humanity, but Sonny's also the type of guy who bones the maid of honor at his own sister's wedding. Yeah. He's the guy who everyone tries to get a rise out of him because they know that he can't keep his emotions in check, but now he's running the family. What could go wrong? Yeah, what could be bad about this? He retaliates for Brazi's death with a hit on Bruno Tatalia, who's, you know, the son of the Tatalia crime boss. It's going to start some shit. It is going to start a lot of shit. Like, this movie starts out a little bit slow. It's kind of introducing all the characters. Yes. Kind of introducing the five families as it's set up. Spend a lot of time at that wedding. And then after Don Vito gets shot, the movie just kind of puts its foot down and doesn't really stop ever again. Yeah, absolutely. I know Brian was saying this is a three-hour-long movie. It does not feel like it. No, it doesn't at all. I mean, that first hour, you're like, okay, I can see how this is a three-hour, but those second two hours go by very quick. Yeah, they do. Vito survives the shooting and is visited in the hospital by Michael, who finds him unprotected after NYPD officers on Salazzo's payroll cleared out Vito's guards. This is a really, really tense scene as he's like walking through and there's nobody in this hospital. And, and he recognizes nurse. right away, like, we got to move him. This is bad. Yeah. Somebody's, somebody's coming after him. And the nurse is like, you got to get out of here. And he's like, listen, no. <laughs> what an answer. Yeah. Michael thwarts another attempt on his father's life, but is beaten by corrupt police captain Mark McCluskey, played by Sterling Hayden. Sterling fucking Hayden. Actual screen legend here. That's what I said. Sterling fucking Hayden. Salazzo and McCluskey request to meet with Michael and settle the dispute. I like how they specifically request to meet with Michael, just because they know he's kind of like the more even-tempered one. He's a They can actually have a a discussion. He is a civilian. They know that he's kind of off limits in the rules of Of how the not-mafia is set up. Exactly. Can I do that? Can I say that? The (laughs) Nafia. That's right. The (laughs) Nafia. Michael feigns interest and agrees to meet, but hatches a plan with Sonny and Corleone Capo Clemenza, who's played by Richard fucking Castellano. Also, definitely connected. A hundred percent. There's a story about how Richard Castellano, he was obviously at the wedding scene at the beginning of this thing. Yeah. And he was also the nephew of the Gambino crime family boss, Paul Castellano, but he kind of held that civilian status. Okay. But he very much lived in a gray area yeah. with a lot of things because apparently one of the Gambino crime uh, family higher-ups visited the set of The Godfather to find him. <laughs> and when they asked him about who was wandering set and talking to him, he just wouldn't say. Yeah, he no, wouldn't nobody say. Important. <laughs> nobody important. Moving on. So 
lots of shady stuff. I, I want to talk about that again later, 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 because there's so much. <laughs> I, it's so tricky to talk about because there's a lot of illegal activity that went on behind the scenes of the making of this movie. <laughs> Fascinating. Carry on. There's, there's so, too much almost. Yeah. So the three of them are plotting for Michael to kill Salazzo and McCluskey and then go into hiding. Michael meets with Salazzo and, and McCluskey at a Bronx restaurant, and after retrieving a handgun planted in the bathroom by Clemenza, he shoots both men dead. One of the most famous cinematic moments in history, flat yeah. out. Yeah. Is Al Pacino coming out of that bathroom. He's supposed to come out firing. It was his idea to sit down and continue the meal because he just didn't feel like his character would just brazenly come out blasting. Right. Didn't work. So, so I he start had to blasting. Nice up close and personal there. Yeah. Oh, God, it's so good. And uh, as he's leaving the restaurant and, like, he's been instructed so many times to drop the gun, drop the gun, it looks like he's going to bring it with him. I'm like, what are you doing? Like, drops at the last possible second, like, yeah. on the frame. And, and then he's just gone. And, and that's I when like I knew I was in it. Leave the scene there with the two dead guys, the table tipped over. Yeah. Oh, God, it's fucking beautiful. So good. And it's so tense, too, because you know how this is supposed to play out. And Michael, the civilian. Yeah. Wants nothing to be involved with his family, possibly. Because <laughs> yeah, he even tells Kay Adams at the beginning of this, he's like, I'm nothing like my family. It's like, I don't know about that. Yeah. <laughs> it is his story. but The apple doesn't fall far. I mean, he just took out one of the heads of the family and a cop. And a cop. And everybody knows shit's about to go down. Everybody knows everybody's going to war. Yeah, yeah. Despite a clamp down by the authorities for the killing of a police captain, the five families erupt in open warfare. Michael takes refuge in Sicily, and Fredo, John Cazale, John fucking Cazale. Oh, and, yeah. And his whole fucking whole forehead. Vito's it's second a great son. Forehead. It's a great forehead. It's a bordering on a six, seven, eight head. <laughs> Do you have any kids? Uh, no, I don't. How? That's such a dad joke. I will loan you a child so you don't feel weird saying that. I don't feel weird talking about his eight head. My goodness. Fredo is Vito's second son, and he is sheltered by Mo Green, who's played by Alex fucking Rocco, in Las Vegas. Sonny publicly attacks and threatens Carlo for physically abusing Connie. I like how you say, like, publicly attacks and threatens. He gets out of the car and beats the living piss <laughs> beats the out of Carlo. Out of and there's always one thing in this that bothers the hell out of me, because they do it, for the most part, in one take. Yeah. Where he's like chasing him across the street, throwing him into those trash cans, beating the shit of him with those trash cans. And there's one punch where he very, very clearly does not make any contact at all. There's more than one. Well, there's one blatant <laughs> one. Yeah. And, I, and it's one of those things of you could get over it real easily. Yeah. And I love that about this movie. It's like that is such a classic that you're just like, yeah, these punches just... are not landing. <laughs> this was never intended to be seen in 4K. <laughs> no, no, it's not. <laughs> it's, it's a lot like when they call cut back in the day, probably. They're like, check the gate. I'm like, no, I don't think I will. <laughs> Just Captain America sitting there on a bench. When Carlo abuses Connie again, Sonny speeds to their home, but is ambushed and murdered by gangsters at a highway toll booth. Now, he got shot a hundred times conservatively, right? Uh, easily. Which one of these shots was the one that did it? Was the first 70 where he's still kind of up and kicking and whatnot? Or do you think it was like the last 30? Like it's really hard to tell. did it. You know, I feel like the first 50 or so hit him while he was in the car and then he climbs out of the car. Maybe don't do that. So 
You know, maybe if he just ducked down a little bit, he would have been okay after getting shot 50 times. I've never seen a human being get shot more and die less until he <laughs> dies all the way. I love when he gets out of the car and does the whole getting shot dance. Oh, it's the best dance in the and world. Then like, the why don't people do that more down. often? Like, oh, I'm going to do the robot. Like, that's all fine and good. But the getting shot dance. It's, it's the getting shot. Realistically, it's now like the, the fucking clowns on the internet who are doing the, <laughs> I got a vaccine yesterday and now I walk like this. Oh, that has been rampant this last week just all of a sudden everybody got, got real wiggly this week from getting vaccinated oh but man luckily they can all keep their hands still to record it's good that they all had a cameraman in the room to film them get all wiggly with their vaccine oh man i can't stop shaking except for this hand that's conveniently holding the phone to record me shaking that would be like the way to do it though is like you have the whole like iphone 14 action mode on the camera now oh yeah <laughs> it's like shaking that like should be crying. their new commercial instead of that lady running down the side of the field it should be somebody doing their their wiggles and and their phone is staying and recording the action well let me hit you I with have this a gimbal one. i don't have a gimbal i have a michael j fox in a second career <laughs> it's his renaissance he's coming back as a DP, a director of photography, now that he could use action mode on iPhone 14. Most insensitive Apple commercial ever. <laughs> it would be. Move over, Janusz Kaminski. Roger Deakins who? <laughs> Michael J. Fox is back. Oh, that would be phenomenal. Oh. <laughs> wow. Technology finally caught up with him. He didn't even have to go back into the future. He didn't have to. He's finally getting his fair shake. This is good. <laughs> his fair shake. I can't tell if you did that on purpose or not. <sighs> In Sicily, Michael meets and marries a local woman, Apollonia, played by Simonetta Stefanelli. She's in a couple scenes. He still has a bruise on his face from getting hit by the cop, and he's marrying another woman while... Diane Keaton's waiting for him in America. Yeah. Maybe he treated this thing like a beer fest, like getting punched in the eye or something. Like, you're a good friend. Oh, yeah. Maybe that's it. It's, I got to keep like motivation. for luck. <laughs> I don't know. This man gets to Italy and he's like, that woman right there, I'm going to marry her tomorrow. And then he does. And, and then, then he does. They have chemistry? Uh, I don't I know. I suppose. I don't know. His name obviously goes a long way. Yeah. In the town of Corleone for obvious reasons. That makes sense. But he is also connected now to a local boss who has really got him under his protection. And the Vitellis. But yeah, Apollonia's in a couple scenes and she goes kablooey because she wants to show up driving a car. She's like, look, he's teaching me to drive. And then she gets killed by a car bomb. Neat. Guess he's single again. <laughs> I guess so. I mean, it's good for Michael. He gets to go to his hometown where he can kind of rule the roost. He gets to... Sample the, the local delicacies. <laughs> they blow up. He gets to go home all willy-nilly. I can't imagine that any girl he meets in America is in a question if he was married overseas in the one day he was there. It'd be really funny if he got back and Diane Keaton's like, mm, something seems married about you. I, th I do think he was gone for like a year or something I think like right. that. It was something like a year. He heals really slowly, though. I mean, that bruise It should be lasts. noted that he heals really slowly. Devastated by Sonny's death and tired of war, Vito sets a meeting with the five families. He assures them 
that he will withdraw all opposition to their narcotics business and forgo avenging Sonny's murder. You kind of did me a favor. The kid was a little hot under the collar. <laughs> I couldn't kill him. He's my kid, but you know. Which kid did you get? The two Italian ones or the Jew one? <laughs> James Kahn, famously not Italian. That's very true. <laughs> With his safety guaranteed, Michael returns home to enter the family business and marry Kay. The family business is Mary Kay. They're selling cosmetics. Finally, they did it. She's trying to get that pink Cadillac. I can't believe the Corleones are doing the Mary Kay. Us Italians finally got Avon under our belts. <laughs> they come in with their pink cars, going door to door, those sons of bitches! He says no to narcotics, but yes to Mary Kay? Really? He's got his priorities. Kay Adams gives birth, I guess Kay Adams Corleone at this point. <laughs> I guess so. Gives birth to two children in the early 50s. Just in the general area of the early, it's a pretty smashy cut that they do here, where it's like, you're married, and she's like, wah, wah, oh, babies. Yeah, I got them two of them, now they're grown up in the backseat of a car. <laughs> There's a child in the car, and I don't know, I think his sister's still pregnant with the baby from the beginning of the movie. It's all very confusing. <laughs> it is very, very confusing. <laughs> it's the John Mulaney joke, and now he's wearing glasses to show that time has passed. <laughs> to show that time has passed, exactly. <laughs> With his father nearing the end of his life and Fredo not suited to lead, Michael assumes the position of head of the Corleone family. That he doesn't want to be a part of it. But he's nothing, two hours like, ago. He's nothing like his parents or he's his family. exactly like them. He is. Vito reveals to Michael that it was Don Barzini, played by Richard fucking Conti, who ordered the hit on Sonny and warns him that Barzini would try to kill him at a meeting organized by a traitorous Corleone capo. Capo. Capo? Capo! You know what? Good enough. You, you got them all. Bravo. With Vito's support, Michael relegates Hagen to managing operations in Las Vegas, as he is not, quote, a wartime consigliere. Also, he's not. He fucked up pretty hard during that whole narcotics thing. Big time, and Sonny died because of it. And Vito got shot! There's a whole lot of things that went wrong there. And Apollonia got blowed up! Yeah, it's... Michael's first wife. They found him in Sicily, in the town named after him. Yeah, that was a poor place to hide. <laughs> Not the best idea. But if they're able to blow her up from 8,000 miles away, Hagen's got to kind of take a back seat. Yeah, I feel like it's time to take a step back and let somebody else do the consigliering. <laughs> That's what they call it. Michael travels to Las Vegas to buy out Green Steak in the family's casinos and is dismayed see that Fredo is more loyal to Green than his own family. Not good. Not good, Fredo. In 1955, Vito dies of a heart attack while playing with his grandchild. Hey, he's like running around, the kid's spraying pesticide at him, but let's call it a heart attack. That's fine. <laughs> yeah. Kid just keeps squirting him after he dies for a little <laughs> while, then he's like, I gotta go run and tell somebody. Ah, oh, classic. At Vito's funeral, Tessio, Abe fucking Vigoda, asks Michael to meet with Barzini, signaling his betrayal. I love that so much, though. Abe Vigoda is kind of like that quiet confidence that yes. is around this family the whole time. Yeah. Like, he clearly plays by the rules, but I really like that Michael picks up on it as quickly as he did. Yeah. Of not Abe. Oh, if anybody had to be Vigoda, come on. God damn it. Somebody's going to come to you. And ask for a private meeting. Somebody you trust. That's the rat. Nailed it. 
The meeting is set for the same day as the baptism of Connie's baby. Because Connie is... Is this the same baby? It, it can't be, obviously. It can't be. But I never see any of her, her other kids. No, Connie's the sister, and I, I don't know. There's just babies thrown about all willy-nilly at this point. While Michael stands at the altar as the child's godfather, Corleone hitmen murder the dons of the five families, plus Green, and Tessio is executed off-screen for his treachery. It is so well done. The way this is shot, the way it's presented. It's phenomenal. You have the priest who is doing whatever they say in baptisms in (laughs) one thing of it, but then you have like the little setups of the other murders happening, the executions happening, and Michael obviously knows what's going on. Yeah, but uh, the whole time he's renouncing Satan. He's completely unfazed by it all. So good. He is in full control. It is so good. Michael extracts Carlo's confession in playing a part in Sonny's murder, assuring Carlo he's only going to be exiled, not murdered. I'm not going to make my sister a, a widow. And then afterward, Clemenza garrotes Carlo to death. Yeah, he totally makes sister a widow. <laughs> 100% does. Connie confronts Michael about Carlo's death while Kay is in the room. And Kay asks Michael if Connie's telling the truth and is relieved when he denies it. That's good. Yeah. Why would Michael lie? Well, this guy who said he's nothing like his family and is now, you know, doing the exact thing that his dad did before he died is, why would he lie to you? Why would he ever lie? Why would he, sweet Michael, his shiner's gone. Right? He's never been secret married in Italy. Never, ever. He's a trustworthy dude. He is. He's a Marine. Exactly. A war hero. Why would he lie about killing his brother-in-law? And then you have possibly the most famous closing shot that there is, uh, I think, at this point. Like, it's, yeah. it's way the hell up there if it's not the most famous at this point. As Kay leaves, Capos enter the office and pay reverence to Michael as Don Corleone before closing the door. Fucking masterpiece, man. Oh, it's so goddamn good. It's held as one of the greatest films of all time for good reason. For good reason. I want to break the score. Already? I want to. Yeah, we're going to certainly try. That was the whole point of me picking this one now, was <laughs> I want to see if we can do it can for we? a movie as high as it is. And you know us, we take it right from the gut. We try right. to be as fair as we possibly can about it. Story and motivation for this movie, 11. 11. I cannot argue against that because, damn it, airtight. It really is, mostly. mostly. Like, I'm not taking it to space, but I feel like I'd have a chance in space with it. Next category is casting. The casting of this movie was contentious, to put it really lightly. (laughs) Yes. Francis Ford Coppola had his cast, and it's everyone you see in this movie. Yeah. Handpicked by him, and the studio wanted literally none of them. Uh, Al Pacino didn't even want to be in the movie. They basically just made him do it. They kind of forced it because of how hard Coppola fought for him saying like no he's the perfect person for this and he shows up and he's very reserved and quiet doesn't fit it at all and james Kahn, robert duvall they got cast because they had done coppola's previous movie the rain people so he already knew them and him and james Kahn are both the hofstra guys so they knew each other from school at that point and then he just kind of plug and played with everyone else none of the casting made any sense to anybody at the studios (laughs) Because they had the hottest property that there was in the book, The Godfather. Right. And the hottest screenplay in Hollywood. 
and they want to cast all these no-names. And then all these no-names became names. They became huge names, and it got to the point that they kept putting the name Laurence Olivier up against Brando, and Brando, who never wanted to be an actor, (laughs) he hated (laughs) acting, but he could never go against a competition when it came to acting. He wanted to surpass like Montgomery Clift back in the day mm-hmm. uh, during those early times. He's been going against like the what Olivier stood for for years at that point that they started floating a bunch of crazy names. And Brandon's like, you know what? Fuck it. Let's give it a shot. And they invited all the studio people to his house. And in front of them, he got into just Vito Corleone makeup. Yeah. And started coming up with the character on his sofa while they filmed it. Apparently, that film doesn't exist anymore, but they said that it's, like, the most unbelievable thing they've ever witnessed. Yeah. I read somewhere that, that one of the studio executives saw the video because they weren't in attendance for that. And they were like, who's this old guy? I thought you said it was going to be Marlon Brando. And Brando did his own makeup for this. Yes, he did. He used shoe polish in the hair. He gave himself a tiny little mustache. Wild. He put the cotton balls in his, in his mouth to give yeah. him kind of that bulldog look because that was his whole thing. He's like, I want to be a bulldog. This guy has to be respectable. He has to be an everyman who could just walk the streets, but he has to be a bulldog. He has to have that authority. Yeah. Uh, long-winded way of saying 10. 10. I mean, <laughs> yeah. Brando puts on a show. The show of all shows. It's one of the show of all shows. The only role I think that might overshadow this one in Brando's career is possibly Terry Malloy on the waterfront. Mm. Possibly. Maybe. But this one's now a hell of a lot more iconic because of course. that movie's kind of fallen to the ages a little bit. It's, I mean, I, I've seen it a ton of times. It's phenomenal. But this is just iconic beyond iconic. Yeah. Yeah. This is frequently at the top of lists of the best movie ever made. So. Gotta keep repeating it. Protagonist. Michael. Michael, indeed. He's nothing like his family, so he says. He's exactly... Like his family, so he acts. Exactly. It's a really interesting that he does when he's at the wedding and he's talking to Kay about his family. And he's not shying away from the stories. Right. So that kind of shows that he's almost relishing in them, in a way. That he's not afraid to talk about it out loud, showing that his father has this power. Yeah. Yeah, he, he has a little bit of that that vibrato. That like, yeah, this is what my dad does, but it's not like me. I'm not like that, but like, I like to talk about it. But he has also that sort of power over the room also because he is that war hero. Right. He is looked at as like the civilian, but. Yeah. And he has that connection. I mean, we're not doing the pictures without Michael. It was one of the first lines in the movie. It's true. It's absolutely true. And I think he kind of just like bided his time a little bit. And yeah. That's why he went to the war. Why is the war hero? He knew Sonny was never going to be in that position to no. be the heir, and Fredo obviously not either. So he could just bide his time a little bit. I think this was more of like a long con than anything. Possible. It's possible. I don't know. Uh, either way, Michael Corleone is looked at as one of the most powerful characters in film. Yeah, and, and the progression throughout this movie is phenomenal. Pacino never goes over the top. Which is crazy for Pacino. 10 again. There's so much to this character, man. Yeah. Antagonist. Is it (laughs) Ancestry.com? 23andMe? I don't know. Like, that's what I imagine it has to be, is the family. The family that he claims to be nothing like. Your heritage. 
the antagonist wins then, big time. Big time. But again, these aren't good people. But they're the best of the bad people. Maybe. We don't get to see the other side. We don't want to deal with drugs. We don't want to get them off my street. Don't sell them to kids. I think that this is one of those movies where I don't know if it's your past. Is it? Is it like a like a fate versus des- like a, a destiny versus the free will kind of thing? It could be. I feel like as soon as he gets, as soon as he gets to Italy, he's like, oh yeah, my old life is done. I'm gonna marry this broad. This is. But it he now. also has so much power in Italy. Yeah, and, and he think- loves the power. Exactly. That's why he's able to point out Apollonia. Go you. <laughs> I'm going to talk directly to your dad, very frankly, in a language he doesn't understand, and then you're going to be married to me tomorrow. Nine. Yeah, that, that's a nine. Screenplay. Mario Puzo and Francis Ford Coppola. Yeah. Mario Puzo wrote a hell of a book, but knew that he had no clue how to write a screenplay, but he was so invested in learning about this culture, about the five families mm-hmm. that were there, that it is so authentic. And a lot of people who are all mobbed up will say that, yeah, you kind of nailed it all yeah. around. That's a bit worrying. There's a lot of people who are upset about the portrayal of Italian-Americans in this movie. And then there's a lot of people who are connected, who saw this movie, and they were like, nope, that's, that's 100% right. That's it. You nailed well, it. Well, it's one of those, you're letting the cat out of the bag a little too much. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, that's half the issue that they ran into with the screenplay, is they ended up getting Joe Colombo famous mob boss involved in this because him and his Italian-American rights league yeah. said, like, we don't want you making this movie. And he said, we're making this fucking movie to Al Ruddy, the producer of it. And Al Ruddy had to step in and make friends with it. He said, like, we're not going to say the word mafia. We're right. not going to say the word Cosa Nostra. To which Joe Colombo said, I'll give you whatever you want then. <laughs> and then he did. Yeah. And apparently there's a lot of shady dealings behind the scenes for, like, locations and making people work with the production. Sure. And every now and then, someone who was mobbed up auditioned, and sometimes they got the role. <laughs> so there's a lot yeah. of things that went into the making of this. Like, the Man. compound that you see on Staten Island, mm-hmm. the big location in this movie, it's not a full compound. It's a bunch of different houses that they kind of had to cut together in a way to make it all work out. Sure. And they couldn't get permission from one of the homeowners, to which Joe Colombo said, I think I want to have dinner with that homeowner. And then he did. And suddenly they filmed there. So Yeah, well, that checks out. That's uh, just kind of know the dealings that went on around the making of this movie. <laughs> Long-winded way of saying for screenplay, they had to put this thing together. Francis Ford Coppola is a goddamn genius. Yeah. And say what you will about him now, he's a goddamn genius. He put together a phenomenal screenplay, a phenomenal film. It's got to be a 10. Yeah. For screenplay. It has to be. Yeah. I mean, it's based off the hottest book of the 60s. It is. And they did win the, uh, you know, the Academy Award for Best Adapted Screenplay. I mean, they won a a bunch. They won three. And then one of them was kind of declined, but we'll get there. (laughs) You're right. You're right. You're right. You're right. Let's talk about the style and tone. It is so authentic the way that they wanted to do this. They didn't want to do it as like a deep period piece just because that costs way too much money. It's only a $6 million budget. Which is insane. So the fact that they did it kind of 40s and 50s, you're not aging it out too much to make it too expensive. Right. But it is so authentic. Absolutely. And I love what they do with dark and light. 
Because some of these scenes are like some of the darkest things I've ever seen on film. And yeah. then like the next scene is so bright and you're like, whoa, it almost hurts your eyes for a second because you have to adjust. And it's and it's a totally different theme. It's a different tone. Like you have that opening scene in that dark room where they're making these deals. Yeah, and then that like wood paneled office. You go right outside to the wedding and it's bright colors and it's a 400 people vibe. singing and dancing and 700 extras. Yeah, but it even goes as far. It's just to go back to that scene where Tom Hagen, Robert Duvall even says to his wife, question mark. He's like, I got to go back to work. It's a job, right? It's not like a very under the table thing. He's like, I got work. I'm, I'm on the clock right now. I got to go. When they first get to Sicily, how brightly lit is. Oh, yeah. And, and it's the like, greatest transition in the history of film. Fight me. <laughs> Fucking fight me. Wow. How they use Don Vito laying in a hospital bed and his mustache <laughs> turns into a fucking tree in Italy. <laughs> fight me. I dare you to fight me. <laughs> there you go. The style and tone summarized right there. The mustache that's it. If that's not a, a 10, I don't know what is. <laughs> there's that one shot of them driving underneath the bridge where you can't even tell what's going on it's so no dark. you have no idea you have Amazing. no idea and then whoever saw game of thrones just like i got an idea <laughs> guys let's do the entire eighth season like this <laughs> i hear it saves on budget if you can't see what's in there in the dark so are we actually saying 10 for style and tone i think we sort of have to i think we sort of have to which brings us to director Francis fucking Ford fucking Coppola. Uncle fucking Frankie. It's the rare time I'm going to give him a Hofstra bump of one, because I can. Because <laughs> he can. No, it's going to be a full-blown 10. That's a 10. Directed the ever-living fuck out of this yeah, movie. Absolutely. And he stressed the entire time because the studio wanted to fire him pretty much every day. <laughs> That's incredible. The fact that this movie actually got made is a miracle. The fact that just about any movie ever gets made is a miracle. <laughs> Making movies is really, really, really hard. Yeah. This, this one, though, overcame a lot of bumps. It sure did. Music. <laughs> I mean, come on. <laughs> Nino fucking Rhoda. Uh, with, a, with a little help from Carmine Coppola. Th this score is, is so fucking good. It's so iconic, too. It's so good. Um, it did get nominated for an Academy Award for Best Original Score, um, but then it was revoked when they discovered that Rhoda recycled a theme from Fortunella, so it was no longer considered an original score. Oh, darn, because we so, all talk about Fortunella. So it, it took a, they took away that Academy Award nomination. That's actually kind of sad, but... Isn't it? Because I, this is like... Yeah, it's... So good. You think this, you think of The Godfather. Yeah. Like in a second. You don't think of fucking Fortunella. Fortunella. I ten again. Yeah. Like yeah. I, I'm. I want to get trying to find fault. I'm trying. I'm trying. I'm trying. Well, it's gonna get harder because box office. This one we don't have any control over. Uh, no matter what scale you base this off of, this is a six million dollar budgeted movie that made two hundred and fifty million dollars worldwide. Um, that's a four thousand one hundred seventy two percent return on investment. If there's ever been an 11, this is an 11. Sold. Can't I fight mean, you. This thing was the highest grossing film ever made until Jaws came out four years later. I just poured the fresh beer because I, I could see where this is headed. <laughs> um, I don't think we're going to match Rotten Tomatoes. Okay. 
I don't know what the number is on Rotten Tomatoes, but I don't think it goes this high. Oh, okay. Fair <laughs> enough. Uh, the final category is impact on the industry. Six. And, six? Five? Four? Six? Uh, I was going to go with like a two and a half. <laughs> no, this movie obviously set the tone for just about everything to follow. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's <laughs> if you've seen a gangster movie, it's because of this movie. If you've seen... A movie. A movie. <laughs> it's probably because of this movie. I just, uh, Academy Awards, it was nominated for Best Picture. Won Best Picture. It was nominated for Best Director. Didn't win, somehow. It did not win Best Director, even though uh, Coppola was nominated. He was. He was nominated along with like John Borman from Deliverance, Joseph Mankiewicz from Sleuth. Uh, but Bob Fosse from Cabaret won. Cabaret's a great movie. I can't fight that too hard, but I can fight it. Enough. The Godfather. Yep. <laughs> uh, famously, Marlon Brando did win Best Actor, but declined it, and it sent up uh, Sashin Littlefinger. Little Who, Feather. Uh, Little yeah. Feather. Not Littlefinger. That's Game of Thrones. That's Game of Thrones. <laughs> uh, she recently passed away, and then it was revealed. She's, she is not a Native American. <laughs> um, yes. But yeah, she declined the award on behalf of Brando, uh, and then gave a speech about protesting Hollywood's portrayal of Native Americans and drawing attention to the standoff at Wounded Knee. Yeah, this wasn't a whole new Brando thing. This has been Brando his entire life. Exactly. He always thought that acting was so beneath anybody, because he said there was no real purpose to it. It doesn't actually <laughs> change anyone's lives. It's meaningless. There's actual causes out there that are worth fighting for and yeah. talking about so keep your statue so uh, yeah that's exactly what happened yeah uh best adapted screenplay they won uh but they also pacino khan and duvall all got nominated for best supporting actor and pacino's actually and lost all lost <laughs> pacino was pretty pissed about it though because he thought he deserved to be nominated for best actor I think he should have gotten nominated for Best Actor. I think so, too. But I think the rules only state that like one can get nominated for whatever at that time, or whatever it is. Right. Uh, but Joel Gray from Cabaret won, and I don't hate that. <laughs> he, Joel Gray's amazing in that movie. I've never seen Cabaret. Cabaret's very good. Also nominated for Best Costume Design, Best Film Editing, and Best Sound. I, I'm, you have to go 11. The awards don't mean dick. The awards don't mean anything. The impact is huge beyond measure. It's an 11, which is going to give this movie a total score. We did it. 102. You know what? I'm okay with that. Because firstly, I don't have to pound this fresh Guinness that I poured out. Because the Rotten Tomatoes score is 97% for critical and 98% for audience. I like how they had like no wiggle room there and they still landed in there. Roger Ebert did see this movie. Obviously gave it four out of four stars. And he breaks it down in a way that I've seen it broken down a lot. Because he wrote this review in 1997, okay, but he's obviously had seen it a whole bunch of times before then. For sure. He says that the Godfather is told entirely within a closed world. That's why we sympathize with the characters who are essentially evil. The story by Mario Puzo and Francis Ford Coppola is a brilliant conjuring act, inviting us to consider the mafia entirely on its own terms. Don Vito Corleone emerges as a sympathetic and even admirable character, during the entire film, this yeah. lifelong professional criminal does nothing of which we can really disapprove. Right. And during the movie, we see not a single actual civilian victim of organized crime. No women trapped into prostitution, no lives wrecked by gambling, no victims of theft, fraud, or protection rackets. The only police officer with a significant speaking role is corrupt. Yeah. So he looks at... This story fascinating from the inside, and that is really where it's all contained, is just inside 
what we see. There's a battle of five families that's out there that is sprawling into the news, and we see it via the newspaper headlines and whatnot. Yeah. But we don't actually see anyone in the greater world affected by it. Right. I mean, other than just witnessing some dude get his ass kicked by the fire hydrant. Exactly. But <laughs> I feel like The Sopranos pulls off this magic trick, too, because... That's true. You don't have, really, any civilian casualties, interactions, issues. Sure, they're worried about this kind of leaking out. Right. Past, like, the borders of what they can control. But realistically, when you keep these stories more contained, they are so effective. Yeah. Yeah, because you have to adopt a different set of morals. You have to. You have to change the way that you think. Exactly. Because in this, no one looks at the Corleone family as the bad guys. But realistically, they're very bad people. In a wider scope, they are not good people. That is, I hadn't even considered that. A little food for thought there from your boy Roger That is a magic trick that this movie pulled. It absolutely is. That is The Godfather. It's 102 out of 100 on our list, as probably should be. <laughs> yeah. That was my pick for last week. This week, I don't know what week we're in. I got COVID brain still. <laughs> Brian, yeah. it is your turn to beer us all a movie for next week. What are we right, talking about next so week? I'm going to kick off our February uh, with something a little more lighthearted. We had The Social Network. We did The Godfather. What's something a little happier, a little brighter? We're going to be talking about the 2014, 2015, not quite sure. I don't know if the movie's sure. We're going to be talking about Paddington. Fuck! Yes! I'm not going to lie to you. I said I'm picking Paddington in two weeks. That's amazing. <laughs> <The Godfather. laughs> that movie is charming as fuck, man. I've never seen it, and that's why I'm like, I need a, a palate cleanser. Oh, I need something a little happier, brighter, a little more I wholesome. Door Paddington. Absolutely love it. <laughs> it's a phenomenal, phenomenal <laughs> pick because I was going to pick it in literally two weeks. So That's incredible. I love it, man. We've been working together too long. Yeah. That's clearly. what it comes down to. The same marmalade wavelengths. This is perfect. <laughs> Next week, Paddington. Until then, thank you for listening. Be sure to rate, review, subscribe. Join us on Patreon this month for uh, our PAX recap. That was, what now, two months ago, three months ago we went? <laughs> We're going to remember what we can. It's going to be fun. It's going to be a great time. Email us your questions and comments at bearmeamoviepod at gmail.com or update your your picks for our our listener pick at the end of the month, which we will get back to in February for sure. We missed it this month, but uh, we're going to make it up to you by having at some point in the future a listener pick month all month long. Probably in the summer. That makes sense. It's the least we can do for skipping this one. It's my fault. It's my breathing people's mouths for fun. And you're going to get COVID. <laughs> if you do that, don't do that. Follow us on social media at BRME Movie on all the things except for Twitter where we're at BRME Movie Pod. Um, and we always put up a post on our recording day asking for your questions and comments. And we got one. Well, I got two, and it's the same guy. All right. What do we got? So Jeff Miners said, so it's regarded that Godfather 2 is better than the first movie. Okay. Which sequel is better than the first movie and you can't name Terminator 2? Oh. oh. So I'm going to say Terminator 2 because I don't like to be told what to do. Yeah, that's fair. And Terminator 2 is a banger of it a really movie. It really is. But you know what? Just to keep it topical, Paddington 2. Dumb. <laughs> I was going to say Toy Story 2. Toy Story 2 is the best out of the four. And even I disagree with that, but I still think 2 is better than Do one. Do you think 3 is better? I, like, I really like 3. Well, 3 I can't watch without becoming a sobbing 
wet mess. Same. In the pants and in the eyeballs. Well, that's weird. Bo Peep, baby. (laughs) (laughs) Spider-Man. There you go. Uh, Oh, Spider-Man 2 is phenomenal. Dark Knight's phenomenal. Jeff, there you go. Boom. We, We have answers. His second part of the question is, fuck Mary Kill, because of course it is. <laughs> of course. Al Pacino, Robert Duvall, James Caan, go. Oh, wow. I'm marrying Robert Duvall. Okay. He just seems a whole lot more down to earth out of like this whole grouping of people there. Yeah. But I get like a freak vibe from James Caan a little bit. Big time. And I think I'm a little into that. Yeah. Like I just want like his curly head to rub up against me. <laughs> Why does this remind me of Step Brothers all of a sudden? <laughs> I think that's what I was going to my head. <laughs> uh, sorry, Pacino. Sorry. <laughs> I feel like Robert Duvall would be a very loving partner. And I think that's I think he did it right there. But I know where Pacino goes from here. and He's got a wild side. He does have a wild side. And James Conn can kind of be be a dick. He can be. And Not that Pacino can't be. Uh, you're right. <laughs> so this is one of those rare times. I think we're going separate ways. I think we and might be. I approve of your answer. So this is fine. So, totally fine. There it is. We agree in our disagreement. Jeff, thank you. Brian, do you got anything else? That's it. Fantastic. Next week, marmalade sandwiches all around with Paddington. We'll see you then. Paddington is charming as fuck. See you next week.